Welcome to life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. Today, I am thrilled to be speaking with Haley Darknell King regarding all things donor conception. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. Today, I am so thrilled to have Haley Darkner King. Did I say your middle name right? The middle one right? I hope, Kaylee. Um, she is, I have to say, probably one of my favorite people professionally to work with. And even personally, I just have gotten to know her over the last 18 months. As soon as she went live on Instagram, I had to contact her. And I have to say, professionally, I just adore her. I really do. So Haley, I'm so glad that you're here today. You had such an incredible story that when I reached out to you at first, I'm like, oh, this woman is unbelievable. So could we just start off? I didn't give you an intro telling people who you are, but maybe would you like to tell everybody a little bit about who you are and why you came onto Instagram? And my God, what you're doing now is fabulous. Well, thank you for having me on, Laurie. Um, like I say, it's um privilege to speak to you on on your um on your show here. So I'm like I say, I'm I'm Haley. Um, as you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm from the UK. So and my, my going back to my name always seems to stump people because um it is a little bit more difficult to say. <laughs> and I've double barreled it just to make it more confusing. Um so yeah, so I've I connected with Laurie about 18 months ago um uh, now and um, mainly because I'd set up an Instagram account following an interview I did about my story. Um, so my story starts, I suppose, in the early 80s, where my parents were suffering with infertility. So they were actually one of the first couples to go through early trials for IVF um, in the late 70s and early 80s um, at the first ever IVF clinic in the UK. Um, and it was actually one of the first ever IVF clinics in the world. Um, and they were successful and I came along um, and I was fondly known as a test tube baby growing up, which is what I was called. Um, but sadly, what I didn't know until a lot later in life was that as part of that pioneering treatment, an anonymous sperm donor was used. Did you so know I you were a test tube baby? Haley? did you know you were yes, a test tube? Yeah. So I, I grew up. Yeah. So I, I found out about age 12, my parents sat me down and told me because back then, Laurie, obviously, as you probably know, IVF was such a new technology um when I, yeah when I was born I was in all the newspapers and all like the local papers oh, in, the, in the UK and my parents had obviously kept those um and they brought all the newspaper articles out to show me when I was about 12 um and I remember it being quite a very vivid event in my childhood that being told but I'm they sure. didn't yeah they didn't they didn't tell me about the anonymous donor part mostly because um uh, the, the donor was anonymous and they were told not to tell by the doctors because yes. that, that yes. was common. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and then, like I say, I found out a lot later in life then, fast forward 20 years um, and I'm in my early 30s and, I, and sadly I found out, um, as like I say, a late disclosure that I was donor conceived and that obviously part of that treatment that my parents had, uh, anonymous donor was used um, and it was a huge shock Um to find out so late and I always sort of say that in that moment nothing changed but everything changed um the whole world had to be shaken in that moment yeah and it was it, it was very much like my dad was still my dad obviously but the I think you grow up in life having certain sort of family narratives and where you get your blonde hair from or um your blue eyes or your your like for a certain sport or food and you kind of attribute those things to certain family members don't you with family storytelling 
Um, and all of a sudden, I suppose in that moment, I kind of had a realization that actually, you know, some of those stories were 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 wrong. Um, and I, I I did have a very sh- big shift in what I would sort of say is about my identity. Um, sure, and I did sure. wonder who, you know, who this donor was. Um, so, yeah. Um, like I say, I then, so the reason why I'm actually on Instagram though is because a few years after I found out about being donor conceived, I actually had donor conceived children with my wife. So I'm in a, a gay relationship. So we used um, a sperm donor to have our children. So I suppose I'm in that slightly unusual position and that I'm donor conceived and a recipient parent to donor conceived children. So that's where. I suppose my Instagram or my public story started, if you like. Um, and that's where, where we met. That's where we met. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of had the chills as you're telling me the story. I didn't realize that you, um, you were one of the first test two babies in UK and it was in the paper. I, I never knew that. That's quite a story. And I'm thinking to myself, 12 years old and finding out um, that, and then later in life, finding out that you were conceived through donor, that that does shake your world a little bit, you know, or more than a little bit. It absolutely shakes your world because you grow up thinking one thing, but the beauty of having your own children through donor conception and then being able to give them the support and the care and the confidence to grow up in that, you know, is, is just, I always thought, you know, such a beautiful story because you're really able to help them understand firsthand what it is to be donor conceived and to understand that the parent is the person who raises you. That's your parent. There's no question about that. And and people are beginning to realize it because now the philosophy has changed so much, right? Haley, you tell the child, you tell the child as early and as often as you can, it just becomes part of a normal conversation as opposed to this big uh, secret. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A hundred percent, Laurie. And it was more, that was my motivation to start speaking about my story really, because I think it was only when our children were born and they were about two, two and a half starting to speak. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I really started having serious conversations about, right, what what are we going to do differently? Um, You know, and it, I don't like to sort of look back too much about the things maybe my parents didn't do because they're wonderful parents. They did the best with the information that they had at the time. And sadly, um, you know, many decades ago, you know, not even that long ago, really, even into the sort of the 90s and the 2000s, um, parents were still encouraged not not to tell their children about being donor conceived. Whereas now, Thankfully, there is a shift towards open. And and you're one of the people who's helped to make that shift. You see, I think what's happened is um, as the donor conceived population has become older, they found their voice and they said, we need to know this. You can't keep this from us. And on on another hand, I mean, you know, I work with so many of the intended parents and it's a heaviness that they carry. You know, and it's the grief that they have to go through. And then it's the process they need to go through to become comfortable in telling their child. So I also think that this new philosophy, which is, I'd say about between 10 and 15 years old, depending on the doctor you go to. And even in some religious communities today, they tell tell the parents not to tell if you're in a close-knit community. But, But I think it has absolutely come from people like you who have said, listen, let's let's put this out in the open and, and I am this person and we need to know, and there's nothing wrong with knowing. Yeah. And I hope so. And I think some of it, I totally relate to the fear side of things with parents. Cause obviously I've been a parent too. And I'm also the non-genetic parent to, to my um, yeah. kids. Um, 
And, you know, I, my wife, my use my wife's eggs and she carried. So I do understand the insecurities. Um, and I think then if you've got extra overlays of infertility, long struggles to become parents, um, all of a sudden the focus, you know, shifts from, you know, I think that the main focus is getting pregnant and having the baby. Um, and a lot of parents, I think, um, maybe aren't counseled enough in relation to like, what to expect with donor conception. And I think sometimes donor conception is can, can even be seen as like a fertility add-on, which is crazy, really. I mean, um, so I think there's lots of things that I can understand why once the child's here, all of a sudden there's this fear like, oh, I, I don't know whether to tell. How do I tell? Um, because parents haven't had necessarily the support leading up to this stage. And like I say, that's what I'd like to sort of try and, or like, I, I like to think that I'm sort of hoping you know, helping to to change. My mind's going in so many directions of the things that you have done as you're saying these things, right? I remember once there was a post on your um on your Instagram, which you may not even remember. And it was right when I started contacting you about the medical record initiative to have them mm-hmm. start to ask people um, you know, whether or not they were donor conceived or conceived through third party reproduction when they're born. And I had reached out to you for your support in that. And um, of course you were incredibly supportive with it, which I appreciate. But somebody somebody wrote on your Instagram page, you're setting a something like you're setting a great um, example for your children and they should follow in your footsteps. And your response was what I loved, which is, well, I'm doing this so my children don't have to follow in my footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I'd like to think. And that is a huge motivating factor for me is to make it a better place for our children, not just being raised within an LGBTQ family, because there's those challenges, too. But to actually um, when we're talking in, you know, the very niche area of donor conception is uh, hopefully making things better for them so that the world is more educated about donor conception. So it's not unusual that a child, you know, goes to the doctor, like with you, with your campaign, Laurie, and says, you know, when they're, they're, they're filling in medical forms or forms for whatever it is, and there isn't a box for donor conceived or adopted or, or whatever it may be. Um, and they're not made to feel othered um, because, you know, the, the knock-on effects of that can be long-lasting um, for people. And I think, like, Hopefully, like you say, there are there's lots of things that you know we could do a whole series of on uh, talking about the things that could be improved within the industry and or whatever. But I think these little steps that are being made, like the initiative that you'll do, Laurie, with others um, to get donor conceived and adopted on. on- the other thing. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's happening. It's happening globally. Yeah. It's going to take about a year or two, but it is happening just to let people know if they're listening that this will be included in the global initiative. And um, hopefully within the next couple of years, people will know that their doctors will start to ask the question, open up the conversation. I, I didn't understand one thing you said, um, so maybe you could clarify it, but I also don't want to forget pe- to tell people that you have this incredible tip sheet. sheet. Um, that you offer that really helps people in understanding, you call it the nugget series. And yeah, that's it really, it. I, I mean, you know, I keep saying I love it, but I do because it really breaks things down so simply in how to talk to your children. And, you know, your website will be up soon and I'm sure that will also have a wealth of knowledge. But you said while you were talking that it's considered an add-on and I'm just wondering what you meant by that. Yeah. So just in terms of fertility treatment, I think with infertility, so normally parents will try with their own, you know, eggs or sperm first, won't they? Um, Whatever the, you know, the combination is, 
And if they're not not able to, I think sometimes donor conception is brought in by doctors is what they call they call it an add on here in the UK. So oh, okay. that might be um, it's just like a fertility treatment. So it, it could be a trial in a new drug or um, doing a different procedure or um, doing ITSI or, or whatever it may be. Um, and donor conception a lot of the time is kind of brought in as, as an add on. So, right, you're you're. We haven't been able to make you pregnant with your own eggs um, because of for whatever reason. So we're going to try donor eggs. And parents are kind of rushed sometimes to that stage, I think, without being properly uh, counseled about decisions that they make at that stage. So, for example, there's a huge difference between the type of donor that you will select. So whether it be anonymous or open ID or a known donor. And I think these conversations that potentially will go on to impact your family aren't being had at stage one, if you like. Um, and that's what I mean by it being treated as, it's being so, treated as the mom. Yeah, I, I never heard the expression before add-on, but thank oh, you. For right. that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think we use it in the United States. We might, but I, and I may not know about it, but I don't believe that we do. Um, I find that um, people look at donor conception, at least in the heterosexual community, right? I always like to break it out now into a heterosexual com- uh, community versus the LGBTQ community. And in the heterosexual community, they look at it kind of like, you know, the last thing they want to do. And it's the last thing that people assume they're going to do because most people assume that they're going to have a baby. You know, they're going to decide when they want to have one and then they're going to get pregnant. Um, with the LGBTQ community, it's a little bit different because typically you, um, well, if you're in a, a gay or a lesbian relationship, then you know you're going to use donor in some points. The um, people who have changed their their gender, if they have kept their own egg or sperm, then maybe they will be able to. So it depends on the breakout. But I think each each category really needs to sit down and have a conversation or two or three or four regarding what it is that that their future is going to hold and their family building process is going to bring. And I absolutely agree with you. ASRM, which is the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, and I don't know if they do this in the UK, but I believe they do. They do set guidelines that you are supposed to be have a um, educational a psych educational consult. And it's typically one, I I tend to think it should be more by somebody who's trained um, in working with people on fertility journeys and specifically third-party reproduction. And at those sessions, you're really supposed to be able to go through all of the um, all of the pieces or almost all of the pieces that you really want to consider prior to having a donor conceived child, like you started to, to say. And, you know, we should really talk about that a little bit more, but it's so important. I can't urge people enough to recognize that you're not being evaluated psychologically, whether or not you should have a child, what you're doing is you're being educated. And because it's a therapist, people get so nervous and stressed before they go, but they usually walk out feeling relieved because you're talking about these things that you haven't been given the opportunity to really talk about, you know, whether it's yourself and you're a single parent or with your partner. So, um, oh God, I so agree with you that it's so important. So what do we do about it? Like, how do we make sure that people recognize these significance? Yeah, I mean, I think in the absence of um, regulation, so in the UK, we do have a regulatory body that deals with donor conception called the HFEA, which is the yes. Human Fertilization Embryology um, Authority. And we do have a bit similar to what you've just said there, Laurie, um, we call it implications counselling here. Okay. So normally, um, uh, if, if you're an individual or a couple having treatment at a HFEA clinic, um, it doesn't count if you're obviously doing at home RUI or you go abroad. But if you're having treatment at a UK clinic that's uh, regulated, you are um, 
you you are um, entitled to have access to implications counselling. And that does vary, though. So although we have guidelines, they're not massively like, you know, you, you could speak to somebody in the north of England and it would be very different to someone like locally to me. I, I live in Wales here in the UK. And the standard of that implications counselling would be very different. Um, personally, I would like to see that kind of standardised across, you know, the board. But, you know, I'm also mindful that, um, you know, fertility treatment costs a lot of money. So if parents have to go through these processes, it does cost, it might cost more money um, and who's going to pay for that and all these kinds of things. But I do think it's so important. And I think sometimes it's a bit like hindsight, isn't it? You don't realise how important that counselling is until after you've got children sometimes. Um, right. And I think I think like it's a lot of the time it's when you look back, you think, oh, I, I wish that I talked to my counsellor about worldwide family limits, or I wish I talked to my counsellor about the difference between using an open ID donor um, or a no, someone that I knew, a friend, or and the implications, I suppose, further down the road. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, implementing that worldwide, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest, because lots of different nations do it differently across the board, don't they? So it's, it's well, I suppose, learning. Don't allow it. Yeah, and, then, or, and we have these people who go on Facebook groups because yes. of the, and and they get donors on Facebook groups, and the implication yeah. of that is also significant legally. So yeah. the the education I think is so important. You went to a yeah. stakeholders meeting, didn't you? At some recently, and talked about it. Yeah, yeah. We I I went to so in the UK. There's lots of discussion at the moment about our rules and regulations to do with donor conception. So we've we've um, yeah, we actually yeah. Do, uh, so it's actually illegal to have a fully anonymous donor in the UK and has been since 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what they're on about introducing um, is that they're looking at the laws and reforming them, um, and they're looking at different options. So they've been having stakeholder meetings here in the UK, which I was really lucky to go to one the other day. Um, and it, it, one of the issues that was raised was this implications counselling and could it be improved? Um, what does it involve? Um, and yeah, it was just really interesting to actually hear what's happening at ground level, which. Like I say, it, it does vary dramatically across the UK, the, the level of counselling that's going on. Yeah. Did you feel like you were heard about like yes, therapy? Yeah, yeah I think um, a, a quite a key point, though, was that I, so that the stakeholder room was full of lots of different people. So we had people from clinics, people that are responsible for donor screening. Uh, we had uh, researchers. Uh, we had someone that's an egg donor that was there. We had donor-conceived people, recipient parents, um, all these different um, legal experts and all the rest of it, all sort of in a room chatting about these subjects. But I actually just turned to the room at one point and sort of said, look, you know, for everyone that's here, that the people that work at clinics, have you actually ever spoken to an adult donor-conceived person before to sort of, you know, find out a little bit about what they think? Not one person in the room put the hand up. Um and that, I think, in itself um, just sort of kind of showed, it is not to say that they're not open to discussing these things with donor-conceived people, but I think that kind of question left kind of, <laughs> we call it a tumbleweed. There was just like a tumbleweed when I asked what it. What did you say? When, when, what did you say to them when there was no response? I just sort of said, you know, I think that we're maybe at a time now where we should be listening a bit like what you said at the start of the, the, the chat, Laurie. You know, we maybe are at a situation in 2023 that if we are looking to improve, you know, the, the things for donor conceived, you know, whether that's, you know, donor conceived families, parents, children, improve the quality of life and 
opportunities for for our families that maybe we should be listening to people that you know have lived through it and maybe we can learn from it um and yeah i mean i think quite a few people i, I think maybe a few light bulb moments came on for these people I, hope so. like- I think i have tears in my eyes right now i certainly hope so because yeah. it's so important um you know i went to a stakeholders meeting i think i had told you right yeah. in in um where was it it was in um, LA right before the ASON conference. And I was really honored to be there, you know, because it was the same thing, right? A whole bunch of people that were in the room representing a whole bunch of different parties. This topic was on uh, units. It, w- it was on, um, you know, the um, just donor conceived community. And I was speaking on um, family unit size. Yeah. So siblings. Yeah. How many siblings and, you know, how do you identify them and how can we control this and how do we look at it? And in the room were um, really an array of representation, right? So there were some doctors in the room, some nurses in the room. There were the um, donor, some of the uh, large donor banks were in the room, which was very interesting, right? Donor can see people. And so it was an array of people. And to listen to their reaction as you talk, or as other people talk about different types of screenings that are done and how they're done, it was it was fascinating, right? Because some of the clinics absolutely require all donors to get screened and some don't. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be really careful here in the U.S. to make sure that when you're going for a donor, um, you know, you make sure that screening is part of the criteria for the bank that you're using. So, yeah, yeah these no, I, I think it's, yeah, it's important. They're important meetings, but I think it's. I I just hope that some um, movement occurs after them because I suppose it's a lot of energy and time for people to invest, isn't it? And hopefully, there's there's movement afterwards. Um, but like I think with yourselves over in the US, where you don't really have much in the way of formal regulation compared to other countries around the world. Um, I I personally would love to see, like I say, some more some more regulatory changes brought into yourselves over in the US, especially because you guys are one of the biggest exporters of donor sperm and donor eggs worldwide. So what goes on in the US, um, because I've sort of been asked before, why do you worry? Why are you so interested, I suppose, in the industry when it's happening over the pond in America? And I'm like, well, because it affects the UK, because, um, for example, a statistic I found out recently in um, over 50 percent of donor sperm that was used in the UK in 2019, newly registered donors were from overseas. Oh so there's a, a huge amount of donor conceived children that are obviously being born to um, American donors or Danish donors. And whilst, you know, that's great in terms of accessibility, um, I think we also do need to be looking at things like family limits and things like that, because with the free movement of, of donor eggs and sperms, like I say, it's great for accessibility. Um, but in the absence of regulation, um, you know, a certain things like banks and that sort of profiting more than they should. And they're not really looking at, you know, the, the best interests of the donor can see families that are being created. So if we look at that, right, because you were saying in the UK, everybody, um, nobody can be anonymous. But you were a little older when you found out and then you started to do a search, if you don't mind talking about that. No, not at all, no. Yeah. So you started to do a search to see who biologically was connected to you. And so if these people are scattered all over the world, that becomes very, very difficult and challenging. Potentially. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's important to say that some donor conceived people aren't necessarily interested to search for, you know, genetic relatives or genetic kin. Um, But then the ones that are, I suppose the more, 
you know, the more there are and the, you know, wherever they are in the world um, become, and if they're not uh, recorded, then in order, if, if you've got a donor conceived person that is interested in finding out, say a sibling or a genetic parent um, and, and the donor, in order to get that information becomes more complicated. Um, and she, it, I kind of would like to get to a stage, you know, where it is not as complicated and it should be readily available. So if a donor conceived person, you know, wants to find out that information, they don't have to send their, you know, DNA off to a bit like I had to really, and, you know, multiple sites and spend hours on genealogy, record searching and things like that. Um, because it is, is stressful and it's complicated and, I think, like you say, it doesn't, it shouldn't, shouldn't have to be really. Yeah. And the emotions that have to follow suit with that, you know, mm. when, when you're sending it off and then when maybe you find out a match and of a sibling or a match of a, of a biological parent or the donor, you know, that that's all hard, even if yeah. you're, you know, and sucks mixed emotions, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it is. And it, you're trying to navigate, you know, with my own circumstance, uh, finding my, you know, genetic father and, you know, my half siblings through DNA testing, you're, you're trying to navigate relationships that you have no idea what they should look like, what they, what, you know, I think society likes to pe- put people in boxes, don't they? And I've spoken a bit about this before on, on my account, but there isn't really a box for someone that was raised at the moment. Anyway, you know, I, I find like my relationship that I've got with my, you know, my gen- my genetic father. So my parents' sperm donor, I, you know, I've got to know Jonathan very well, um, but people are always very like, oh, so they, they want to put him in a box, like, you know, and and it's hard because I don't, I don't see him as a father figure. I don't really see him as, you know, what is a donor relationship meant to look like? It, it's very hard. And I think these are all things that I'm trying to kind of preempt for our own children now, um, because potentially they may be things that they have to deal with. And I think the idea is that, you know, hopefully, things will be, they will be a better situation for them. Um, and we'll be able to support them through the process as opposed to trying to do it like me and my, like, you know, I'm 40 now trying to do it now. Do <laughs> you think the boxes are helpful in any way? Um, sometimes not. I think not the rigid ones. I think sometimes it's it, people like boxes to keep things in order, don't they? And to kind of help understand the situation, but, um, when they're very rigid, it, it's difficult. Um, and they're not always helpful. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think it's so hard, especially since this is so new, you know, it's been going on for so many years, but it's still really new that we're dealing with it and boxes make it harder. I think boxes make a lot of things harder, but at the same time, they give a little security. Yeah. And that's what I would say They they have their place, but it is hard. Um, And I'm still learning, you know, even though I'm donor conceived, I have donor conceived children. There's things that I know today that, you know, if I'd have maybe known, before having children, you know, my wife and I have discussed it. We we may have done things slightly differently because of the information that we have now. Um, and going back to kind of like the implications counseling, really sort of doing full circle with the talk. Um, you know, that that's why I think it is very important because I think you're you're not gonna know a lot of information about donor conception when you're right at the start of your journey, you're relying on people that are experts and have been through the process to kind of impart that knowledge, aren't you? It's a bit like going for fertility treatment. Most people wouldn't 
know anything about IVF before they've turned up at their clinic, you know. I have to really encourage people, you know, um, regardless of what country you're in or where you live, to go for the counseling. You know, I know that yep. it's extra money, but um, it's extra money that's really helping you, you know, at your present state, but also for your future and for your family. And yep. that's that's invaluable. I, I personally love doing them. Um, I think that they're, they they allow people an open, safe space to talk mm. and, and just to listen. And so I I really can't encourage it enough, but I also really would say, go to somebody who's qualified. Mm. Don't, don't just, oh, yeah. Um, I think sometimes the doctors don't know what to do. They know that you should go, you know, and they want you to go and then, and they ask you to, but then it's not really their realm to get into all the detail of, um, you know, who the donor is and talking to your child and what are you going to do with your relatives and how are you going to tell them and what part is private, what part's secret and what's your child going to think as they get older and what if they want to meet their siblings and do you want a relationship with the person? There's so much to consider. So people like you, Haley, are making it possible for people to recognize that. And, you know, it, it's just, it's a real gift. It really is. And I think as people start to get your newsletter and, and see your website and the work that you're doing, it, it's, it's invaluable for the community, you know, and I've always said this to you privately, but I'm saying it to you publicly now because well, I, I, you. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I do feel very passionate about it. And I think even if you're, you know, you've already got children and they may be, you know, young kids or, um, you know, five or six, or whatever, you know, there's always things we can be doing to kind of make, ourselves more prepared you know for the next stage and like I say Laurie and I've spoken a lot I've started doing some work for a parent hub called Paths to Parent Hub where I'm primarily involved with the LGBTQ section but we you know we've been creating content on the hub all to do with donor conception and supporting parents you know even you know with kids of all different ages things you can do to kind of get confident with talking to your children or if you're things that you're worried about and because I think a lot of the time parents like you say, they get all, all the information at the clinics. They get, you know, they have this lovely baby. But then it's like, right, what do I do now? And I, I do see it where parents get, you know, even my wife and I sort of had it a little bit where our children started to talk and we were like, right, okay, we, we really, we I think parents want in some ways to be open and honest with their kids, obviously, but they don't quite know how to do that. Um, so like you say, I, I, I really enjoyed working on the hub, um, you know, for, for, for the time that I have, because we, we're kind of de- dealing, you know, with parents, you know, face to face and helping them and supporting them through that. I, I hope people, you know, join that. I, I think it's so important. And the support groups are really important. Um, people, I think, don't recognize how important that support is. Yeah. Until they allow themselves. And a lot of people are private, you know, they don't like yeah. to talk in front of other people. They don't want to go to a support group. But um, I, I can't encourage it enough that uh, I'm such a believer in it, you know, and you kind of see how people bond together, even if it's over Zoom, the bonding takes place, the knowledge takes place, the ability to talk takes place. And we can't leave out that emotional component. And I'm not saying that because I'm a therapist. I'm saying that because that's where all our feelings go and all our emotions go when when we're we're raising our family. So And the LGBTQ community gets left out, I think, sometimes. So I'm really glad that you're doing a lot of work with them. You can, we can't assume, and I think it's a horrible assumption, that because you went into a situation knowing that you're going to use a donor, that it makes it easy. It does not on any level. 
Nice. And um, I think that doesn't get said enough. No, I, and thank you for saying that, because I, I do think there is some assumption sometimes um, because, it, you know, it, it is plan A, if you like, for a lot of LGBTQ individuals and couples to, to use a donor. But like you say, it's not always fully discussed, um, you know, that the emotions that might come up maybe for the non-carrying parent or the non-genetic parent or, um, you know, that the concept of using a donor and how you pick a donor and what's important to you as a couple. And even down to think like I, I did a great chat the other day where we were talking about um, family building priorities. So, you know, actually thinking ahead a bit about your family building journey. So, you know, it, for situations like my wife and I, like who was going to go first, you know, in, in terms of like using, if we both wanted at some point right. to, to carry a child or, or use our eggs about things like egg, you know fertility preservation and all these kinds of topics I think don't you don't really get the chance to talk about it really and I think um it's, it's all really important conversations well, it's so important especially yeah. you know with a preservation and you know, sometimes one person is older than the other and you yes want, you want to be sure that you if the person who's older is not going to carry the child first then those eggs are preserved so that they can yes. it's yeah. really it's very important I think also the legal ramifications are really important that people okay. forget when they're using a donor. You've got to get the legal um, legal information clear. Yeah, so that- yeah, and certainly like in obviously in America or different parts of the world, there's different. I would always tell someone to go and speak to, you know, a lawyer or um, a solicitor we have in the UK just to get some advice because um, LGBTQ family building does come with complications if, um, you know, in, in terms of, um, who's classed as the legal parent, for example, depending on the type of treatment you have. So it's de- it's a really good point, Laurie, because and that's another another layer to the process, isn't it? Where, you it know, is. sometimes doesn't always get acknowledged. I think with you know LGBTQ family building, sadly. Yeah, no, there's so much there, and and so I am so glad that you're doing this in the hub, you know, and I hope other people do it in other places because we can't we can't just assume we can't make assumptions that that you know things are easy for people just because we would think that they would be, they, it, yes. it doesn't mean that they are. So, yeah, yeah I, I think it's great. So Haley, I don't know how much time we have left. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> well, say, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit mindful of time, um, but no, it's been great speaking to you, um, Laurie. Like I say, if, um, if anyone wants any further information, like I'm, I'm, I'm hoping my website. Um, so it's all things donor conception by Haley Dartnell King, which is obviously me, um, should be launching soon. So hopefully, I think by the time this goes live, it, it may well be available. So definitely come search for me there. Um, and if you do like the sound of the the, the Nugget series, which is like I say, a, a downloadable resource for parents of donor conceived children, please do and and like you say, come come say hello. Yeah, Haley's always open to that. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at lauriemetz.net. Thank you, Haley. Thank you for having me on, Laurie. It's lovely speaking to you. Anytime.